Hello and welcome to the Weekend Wrap for the week on Wednesday. I am Ben Davison, joining me from a very wet and wild eastern coast of Australia this week. And what another massive end of the week in Australian politics and Australian life we've had and what a huge start to the week we're likely to have as well. Of course, anybody who has been following the ongoing QAnon-influenced protests that have been happening in Melbourne during the course of the pandemic will know that yesterday we had yet another QAnon rally in the streets of Melbourne. This is beginning to get entirely out of hand. We're seeing death threats levelled. We're seeing medical waste sent to crossbench MP Andy Medic's office. We saw somebody carry a gallows with three nooses. There's a photo circulating of someone holding a noose over the face of Dan Andrews on a T-shirt. And frankly, the whole thing, the whole thing is being geared up and geared along by a bunch of fringe elements using foreign propaganda to tap into people who are disgruntled and feel out of control of their own lives. So you've seen the Liberal Democrat Upper House MP in Victoria. That's right, there's a Liberal Democrat Upper House MP in Victoria. I bet you didn't even know there was one. You've seen him try and latch onto this. We've seen Craig Kelly, who we know gears his social media towards a foreign audience because of the timing of the posts. We've seen Peter Credlin. Peter Credlin, Tony Abbott's creature and Murdoch's new award-winning journalist, out in the crowd talking about how important these people are for the defense of democracy. Well, it may be really clear about the defense of democracy. When you have people going online and issuing threats against the vice president of the Australian Labor Party, when you have people turning up at the House of Crossbench MP Andy Medic, threatening him if he votes with the government, when you have people ambushing the chief health officer and causing the premier to stop visits to local hospitals because of threats that are being made against them, then you are not democratic, you are anti-democracy. In Victoria, nearly 93% of the population has had at least one dose of vaccine. The approval rating for Dan Andrews remains well above a majority position. The two-party preferred position of the Labor Party in Victoria is higher than it was at the last state election when the Andrews government was returned in a landslide. The people attending these rallies are an extreme edge of a very vocal, small minority. Victoria may well end up with a 95 or 96 or even as high as a 97% vaccination rate. Yes, there will be some people who cannot get vaccinated. We know that. They will be severely immunocompromised individuals, individuals for whom their doctor believes taking the vaccine poses more risks than not, especially if we have herd immunity because we have achieve such high levels of vaccination. But we have to get to that point. 
And these individuals, these QAnon-influenced people, and I say that because they are QAnon-influenced, because they're flying Trump flags, they're flying Q flags, they're using the rhetoric and the language that has come from QAnon. If you don't believe me, go out and buy Van Battam's book, QAnon and On, A Short History of Internet Conspiracy Cults, and you'll see how this has become part of the Australian experience. It's also interestingly timed. While in Australia, the pandemic is essentially at a point where we feel like we're starting to manage it, we're starting to come out of using lockdowns, we're starting to feel like some sense of normality pre-2020 is returning, in other parts of the world, the COVID pandemic is ramping up again. And particularly in somewhere like the US, where the political ramifications of COVID are still washing through their system. Yes, Trump lost the presidential election, but he hasn't gone away. And his creature, Steve Bannon, remains very active. In fact, even in Australia, Steve Bannon is regularly in the top five podcasts for news in Australia on Apple Podcasts. That is a disturbing revelation. We've seen members of Morrison's government, like Matt Canavan, go on Steve Bannon's podcast numerous times. And why is this so so concerning? Why do we care about this? Because Steve Bannon has been indicted indicted for contempt of Congress. He faces charges in the US. He's already had to be pardoned once by Donald Trump. I don't think Joe Biden will be giving him a pardon. But what all of this movement, all of this colour, all of this noise is designed to do is to provide fodder for Bannon and his version of republicanism in America. We've seen that with the commentary that comes out of Fox News, the commentary that comes out of the far-right and far-right-aligned commentators in the US, using what happens in places like Melbourne as fodder to ramp up their own base. Craig Kelly may or may not hold on to his seat. It's unlikely in actual fact. And all of these little piggies who put their snouts in the trough trying to get a few votes here or a few more clicks on their YouTube channel there by attending these rallies, by gearing up these people, are really serving the purpose of Steve Bannon and other foreign influence operations. I really encourage people to pick up Van's book, QAnon and On, a short history of internet conspiracy cults because it's all there. It's laid out and all of the information is available. And you know what? I'm going to say it. Do your own research because the media in Australia is not doing the work. It's disturbing to see that someone can march a gallows through the streets of Melbourne, that people can make chants about killing, killing the bill, killing Dan. Awful anti-democratic, violent behaviour. And the media reports on it as though it's any other kind of rally or protest. I've been to lots of rallies and lots of protests in my time. And I can tell you right now that if anyone had turned up to any of those, any of those protests for workers' rights, any of those protests for the rights of Indigenous Australians, for treaty, to stop deaths in custody, 
to release refugees from permanent, indefinite detention. If someone had turned up with a gallows to any of those, then the AFP would have been called. The media would have demanded an investigation. There would have been arrests already. Instead, we have people breaching public health orders. We have people threatening members of parliament. We have people threatening the office bearers of our established political parties. And the media treats it as though these are genuine people with genuine concerns. They may well be real people, but their concerns are whipped up foreign propaganda. Go and get vaccinated. Go and get your booster shots. I cannot stress this enough. And I say it because right now, as we have seen across the last two years, what's happening in the Northern Hemisphere gives us an insight into what can happen here. Because in Europe, they are having another outbreak. The Dutch have just gone into a three-week lockdown. Germany is spiking to its worst levels of infection since the pandemic began. Austria is locking down its unvaccinated population. In the UK, they have nearly 500 cases of COVID for every million people. Every day, we're seeing more people get COVID, more people require hospitalisation, and more people dying. Even just in Singapore, they're now talking about removing healthcare from people who are not vaccinated. We don't want to go down that path, but you've got to get vaccinated. If you can get vaccinated, get vaccinated, because what is happening in other parts of the world will happen here. Compare that to what's happening in Portugal and Spain, where vaccination rates, that is fully vaccination rates, are above 80%. COVID is barely in the community. Hospitalizations are very low. Deaths almost non-existent. That's where we need to be aiming for. And it's great to see so many states across Australia will achieve that. We will achieve that. We're almost there already. But to have Greg Hunt go on Insiders today and dismiss the idea of booster shots, while in the Northern Hemisphere they're desperate to get booster shots into people's arms, is just so frustrating. Greg Hunt is an idiot. He has been an idiot the entire pandemic. He remains an idiot. He continues to behave like an idiot. He continues to spout politics when what we need is policy. He continues to protect himself when what we need for him to do is to protect the nation. This idea that we don't have to worry about booster shots too much and the advice is you're fully vaccinated after two shots. For God's sake, man, read the BBC. It's not that hard. It's a free app. What's happening in the Northern Hemisphere can happen here. We have to take precautions. Get vaccinated. Get your booster. Keep wearing your mask when you're in crowded areas. Do simple, basic hygiene things to help protect each other. You know, throughout the whole pandemic, we've talked about how important it is to be in your union. And that has never been more clear than now as uncertainty about who's required to be vaccinated and who isn't, as people's frustrations boil over in retail and hospitality, as we start to reopen and employers start to push this notion of labour shortages to 
import more temporary migrant workers, as the cost of living goes up, we need to be in our unions. Being in your union means you're part of a collective. It means you've got people who've got your back. I saw a great quote today, uh, recently from an AMWU member, Australian Manufacturing Workers Union member, who was sacked unfairly and was finally restored to his job many months, many months after it. And he said he'd been in the union all of his working life and you're in the union to help other people and sometimes you're the one that needs the help. It's such a true statement. You're not going to use your union membership every day. It's not a Netflix subscription. It's being part of a community. And sometimes you're giving into that community and sometimes that community is giving into you. So I just say this, go to australianunions.org.au slash wow, that's W-O-W, to join your union today. Join before you go back to work this week. Make sure you have the protection and the solidarity of a community of workers just like you. Now, I want to talk about COP26 because it is finally over. The leaders left a week ago, and then, of course, the real nitty-gritty of negotiating the statement takes place. And, of course, you know, these things, these international agreements are never perfect, and this reflects the imperfection of progress rather than the perfection of ideal state. So there is not a phase-out of coal, but a phase-down of coal in the agreement. There is not a removal of fossil fuel subsidies. There is a removal of inefficient fossil fuel subsidies. You know, it's always the nuance of the language. And of course, countries will make commitments. And 140 countries have lifted the targets for 2030. 140 countries. You know, that's a fantastic outcome in itself, and we hope they all stick to that. Unfortunately, Australia is not one of those countries. And Michelle O'Neill, the president of the Australian Council of Trade Unions, tweeted about this today during Insiders. And it's just remarkable to think that Scott Morrison, with his special McKinsey pamphlet, can't bring himself to make the same level of commitment as our neighbours and our allies. But there we have it, folks. Some people have said that keeping temperature rises below 1.5 degrees is currently on life support. They will meet again in Egypt next year. There is a great divide between the richer nations of the world and the poorer nations of the world. There is an inequality, even at a nation-state level, that has to be addressed as we progress with this. There are countries that are already suffering great damage as a result of climate change. And there are countries who are disproportionately contributing to the problem and have a capacity to meet that proportionality as a contribution to the solution, but are resistant to it. Australia is one such country. We have one of the highest per capita emissions in the world. We export huge quantities of emissions to other countries to release into the atmosphere. That's what we do. We've done it for a long time. Pretending otherwise doesn't help us. Workers will be at the front line of the change. 
because it'll be our jobs that are changing. It'll be our communities that are changing. It'll be the heat and the fires and the floods that we have to face. And yet the Morrison government still refuses, still refuses to play an active role. This can-do capitalism attitude that he's put forward. Well, let me tell you about can-do capitalism. Can-do capitalism is doing what it can. There's no question that investments are going greener, people are finding energy efficiencies, people are trying to make the most of new technologies. But all economic systems exist within a policy framework. And when the government refuses to provide certainty around that policy framework, people hesitate. People don't take steps that they might otherwise take. And at the end of the day, coal-fired power stations will close as their life comes to an end. The question that we have to ask ourselves as a community is what are the conditions under which these closures and this transition will take place? Will it simply be based on what is profitable for corporations or will it be driven by community? Will it be driven by what we need as Australia, what we need as the people of Australia? Will it be driven by what creates the most jobs, what creates the most prosperity, what makes sure we have clean drinking water, clean air? Because at the moment, leaving it up to can-do capitalism is very, very risky. Very, very risky. And frankly, I don't have a lot of faith in the idea that foreign boardrooms will make decisions in the interests of Australian communities. I don't believe that they will do that because history shows they don't. I want to give you some more examples about this because this concept that capitalism will save us from climate change, it's a very appealing one. It essentially means no one has to do anything and someone somewhere will wave a magic wand and we'll all have batteries and solar panels on our roofs and electric cars will be cheap because it's in the nature of capitalism to do these things. (laughs) Well, it's in the nature of capitalism to make profit. And let's take this week's labour figures as an example. Unemployment spiked half a percentage point to 5.2%. We know there are over 2 million Australians who want work. We know that there are, there are industries like hospitality that claim they need 100,000 more workers. Agriculture claims it needs 20,000 more workers. We know that in agriculture, people have been underpaid for years, if not decades. And finally, thanks to the work of unions, there's a proper minimum wage now, $25 an hour. I think it's $25.14 to be precise. That applies in agriculture. We know that there's a lot of pressure throughout the caring side of our economy. And in fact, there are roughly 200,000 people who have caring responsibilities either for children, elderly parents or family members with a disability who cannot get work because systemically the supports are not in place for the caring to happen and for them to go to work. That's can-do capitalism. Can-do capitalism leaves millions of Australians behind. Now, we need government to step in. So what is Morrison doing? He's stepping in 
with a seasonal worker program (laughs) where he wants to import more temporary migrant workers from overseas, up to half a million of them. Now, these are people who deserve employment. Of course they do. And we should be working with our neighbours to build up their economies. But we shouldn't be opening the floodgates when there are people here who are trapped, people here who want to work. We have to address the structural problems in our economy to get these people into work. They want to work. They just can't find the work that still allows their family members to have the care they need. And let's talk about the seasonal worker programs, because since 2012, 25 people have died. I can't recall a single month, a single month over the last five years, where there wasn't at least one story of exploitation of these workers. They were put in incredibly vulnerable positions. They have no citizens' rights here. If they complain to the Fair Work Ombudsman, their employer can simply discontinue their contract and have them exported, back to their deported, back to their home. They're usually crammed into terrible accommodation, forced to use employer-provided transport, forced to pay whatever costs the employer deems necessary, and left with relatively, and in some case, quantifiably tiny amounts of money, which generally they send back to their home country. Now, that's a terrible, terrible system. There are people in Australia who want to work. There are clear barriers that stop that from happening. We know how we can address it. The Thrive by Five campaign has talked about what needs to happen in childcare. We know there are problems in the NDIS and access to quality services and support to make those services functional. We know that there are problems in our aged care system. The Aged Care Royal Commission gave us recommendations. Morrison has done nothing with those. So we know how to address the systemic problems, but instead Morrison chooses chooses to make a bad program even worse through the seasonal worker program and compound the misery for two million Australians who want to work. That is where we're at. And this week we will see a build-up towards the last couple of sitting weeks of Parliament. We've seen all the stuff around Morrison being a liar. We know he's going to use this next week to campaign again. He's out there. He's running a election campaign in the same way he did in 2019. Lots of photo ops, lots of, you know, tennis games and barbecues and haircuts and all of the, just the fluff and the, and the nonsense. There are real issues real issues this country needs to address. We need to improve our efforts on COVID. We need to deal with the destabilisation of our democracy by foreign actors who are using QAnon and the QAnon cult to drive their own propaganda. We need to address the systemic problems that are locking people out of our labour market and lift the wages of those who are in it. They're the things that the next election should be about. More secure work, better wages, the defence of our democracy and our democratic institutions, and how we make the transition into a cleaner, better economy, 
as well as protecting ourselves with a world-class healthcare system and a world-class capacity to respond to pandemics. But I'll bet you all the money in my pockets against all the money in your pockets, they're not the things that Morrison will talk about this week. That's the weekend wrap for this week. Remember, don't forget to sign up to your union, australianunions.org.au slash wow. To hear more about the stories of frontline workers, check out On The Job, the podcast for Australian unions run by Francis Leach and Sally Rugg. And of course, this week is a big week for our household as Van Batten's book, QAnon and On, a short history of of internet conspiracy cults is out on Wednesday. You can pre-order it. There are links on all of our social media. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for getting engaged. Remember, be kind to yourself and to each other.